you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent me with officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night, by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall. And I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for this time that we now have to dive into your word. We thank you that your word is living and active, that it never returns empty. And so we're praying in faith that your word would go out now, that we'd hear it, we'd receive it, and it would bear fruit in our life, that we'd be people, men and women made in your image, bearing the fruit of your spirit, that Christ would be magnified. Be at work, we pray now, for our good, for your glory. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray. And all of God's people said with one super loud voice, amen, amen. amen. How are we doing, City on a Hill? Yeah. Take a seat. Let's give a hand up for the band. Thank you, Jess, for leading us. Happy Queen's birthday weekend. Who, <laughs> who's, who's thankful for a long weekend? A lot of hands. Great to be with you. If you're new or visiting, my name is Guy. Today, we're continuing our series, Rebuild. Uh, last weekend, uh, we stood in the ancient city of Susa and met Nehemiah. 
And we discovered that Nehemiah is not your typical religious figure. Uh, He's not a priest working uh, in the temple. He serves as the cupbearer to the king. And one afternoon, while in the city of Susa, uh, one of his friends, one of his brothers, visits him from his hometown of Jerusalem. Jerusalem's about 1,400 kilometers away from Susa, which is probably like walking from Toowoomba to Melbourne, right? It's a long way. And, and, and Nehemiah asks his brother, how are the people in Jerusalem going? Now, why is he asking about Jerusalem? Well, in part, it's because they're his brothers, they're his sisters, it's his family. He wants to know how they're, they're doing. But of course, it's theological and spiritual as well. Jerusalem is the city of God. It's where God has established his people. It's where God has set them apart to be a light to the nations, a city set on a hill. And yet, as we've seen throughout this series, it was around the 6th century BC uh, that cracks in the city began to emerge. There was diversion, uh, uh, division, there was uh, political and spiritual compromise, and the Babylonians came in. And they stormed the gates, they exiled God's people, and they torched the city to the ground. That was 141 years ago. Here is Nehemiah. In fact, since that time of exile, God's people have been returning in waves. And the temple is now standing. In fact, it's been standing for for 70 years. And so Nehemiah inquires about the men and women in Jerusalem, but the news is not good. Despite the temple standing, the people are in trouble. The walls are still down. The gates have been burned and the people walk in shame. And how did Nehemiah respond? Did he shrink back in despair? Did he point the finger of blame? No, we discovered last week that in response to their trouble, what does he do? He weeps and he prays. Nehemiah weeps because he cares for God's people. And Nehemiah prays because he knows that the hand of the Lord is not too short to save. That God can take the broken pieces, the broken walls, and make them whole. You know how long Nehemiah prays? Any guesses? One day, two days? No. Four months, Nehemiah prays for a breakthrough. And that moment comes when the king of Susa looks at Nehemiah and discovers that he's sad. He sees sadness in his eyes. He discovers that he's sad over his home city in Jerusalem. And in an act of mercy from God, the king grants Nehemiah a leave of absence. And he resources him to go and be part of the solution. And so Nehemiah packs his bags. He travels out beyond the river. And he goes and he stays in Jerusalem. And the Bible tells us that he spends three nights getting up while it's dark to inspect the walls, to see the brokenness for himself. And after he discovers that what he heard is true, he then brings the city together. He gathers everybody, the rulers, the the priests. He he gathers the accountants and the the doctors. He gathers the teachers. He gathers the part-time student working at Starbucks. He gathers them all together. And what does he share with God's people? And what is it about his vision that you and I can 
hear and learn and take hold of today. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 2 and chapter 3 today. And if you've got a Bible handy, I'd love you to come with me there. We're going to look at this in two parts today. Act 1, the people gather. So here's Nehemiah. The men and women of the city are gathered before him. And he stands up and he says to them, You see the trouble we are in. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. Do you see the trouble we are in? Uh, Nehemiah has heard that the walls are broken and he's confirmed with his own eyes that the city is in ruins, but now it's important that the people see it. Uh, They know the walls are down. They know the city is in ruins. It's been like that for 141 years, but do they see it? Do they see the trouble they are in? Throughout my life, I've come to realize that uh, we can become so accustomed to brokenness in our life that we can forget it even exists. We get used to the broken relationship in a family. We can get used to the splintering in a marriage. We can get used to division in the body of Christ and the bitterness that pulls us apart. Nehemiah knows that if we're going to do something about the brokenness, we need to first see the brokenness. We need to have the courage to admit and say there's a problem here and things shouldn't be like this and things could be better. And as Nehemiah points out, the walls in Jerusalem are not only broken, but are having devastating consequences. The people are suffering derision. Now, as you'd know, in the ancient world, a wall provided the necessary security and protection to people, protecting them from roaming gangs and opposing enemies. You need to keep in mind that God's vision for Israel was that the city would would be a blessing, a place of prosperity and, and flourishing. And yet how are they to build a stable economy? How are they to establish their buildings, their arts, their technology? How are they to have a culture in which men, women, and children feel safe when the walls are down? So they're walking in this constant fear. They're they're exposed. And yet on top of that, Nehemiah points out that they're being mocked. The other nations are looking down on them. They're jeering at them. They're supposed to be the city of God, but in the eyes of the world, they're the city of fools. And yet what I love about Nehemiah is that Nehemiah not only names the broken walls, And the derision they suffer, what does he do? He leans on in and provides a way forward. Did you see that? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. I believe it was Napoleon who said that a role of a leader is to define reality and then give hope. Right? We've got to define reality and then give hope. 
Some of us tend to only ever talk about hope. Some of us tend to only see what is good. In the words of the Lego movie, everything is awesome. Then there are other people who only ever see the problem. (laughs) Everything is always terrible. Everything is always hard. Despite doing the one good thing, they'll give you the list of all the things that are wrong. What I love about Nehemiah is that he acknowledges the brokenness, right? He has the courage to define the reality they are in, but then also to give hope. Now, many of you will know that that last year we spent nine-ish months uh, in a journey called Reimagine. You know, coming out of two years of lockdown and separation, we we recognized that, that the city had changed. We had changed. And we wanted to kind of go to God in prayer, seeking his heart and his vision for our church and indeed this city. And what I really, really appreciated in that time, though at times difficult, what I appreciated is hearing God's people share their heart and their passion, uh, the great ideas that they had, but also the areas that they thought we could, we could grow, we could improve, we could heal, we could rebuild. And we heard across our church a a real acknowledgement and a desire for deep discipleship. We heard within our church a desire that in the heart of the city, we could strengthen our ministry to to the poor, to the marginalized. We heard of of a need for us to kind of come together with deeper, richer prayer and a commitment to evangelism. Right? These were all the things that we identified as a body of Christ with a desire that we'd grow to be the church God wants us to be. And by God's grace, that naming of what was broken and needed to be rebuilt enabled us then to rebuild. So in 2022, the team launched the Greenhouse discipleship program, getting men and women together to go deep in their walk with Jesus. And we can praise God for that. In 2022, we're also advancing uh, our ministry to the poor. Uh, We actually set aside close to $200,000 across uh, our movement of churches to help fuel local ministry and local mercy. In the coming weeks, we're actually going to hear uh, about one great initiative that will strengthen our ministry here in Melbourne. In 2022, we've also been able to strengthen uh, our online ministry. As many of you guys know, we now have the the opportunity to to share what we're doing here with people near and far. We've been able to strengthen the team, uh, increase our capacity. Why? So that people near and far might hear of the good news of Jesus, right? These are just some of the important steps that we're seeking to take to build the wall, trusting that in the hand of God, this will fuel our mission, our vision, and indeed our hope. You know what I love also about Nehemiah's vision here? It's the way Nehemiah empowers the people to play their part. He empowers them to play their part in the solution, right? Nehemiah could have said, come, let me build the wall, (laughs) right? Keep in mind, he's speaking to a people who have lived in this brokenness for decades, right? They're very accustomed to the brokenness. They're used to seeing the walls down, the gates burned. He could have easily marched on in from the capital of Susa, 
He's got the king's resources behind him. In fact, by now, the king has already sent him like a, an army of horses and officers. He could have quite easily said, Jerusalem, I've come to save the day. Stand over there and watch me build the wall. But that's not what Nehemiah does. What does he say? Verse 18, come, let us rise up and build. You don't don't want to just kind of fast track over that. You want to underscore that. Come, let us arise and build. There's a very important principle here that I think just transfers to so many areas of life. You know, for those of us who are parents, do we have any parents here today? Yep. Right. There is a tendency. I've got four kids and myself. There is a tendency to see the struggles that our children face and feel the pressure to dive on in and save the day. Right? You've got to care for your kids. You've got to help the kids. But there's that inner pull. So you get, I don't know, an email from a teacher at school telling you one of your kids has fallen behind in a class. You're going to feel that pull to want to take their homework and do it yourself. And it comes from a position of love and desire to care. But ultimately, what does it do? It leads to disempowerment and a lack of maturity. Same thing actually can happen in relationships. Right? Same thing happens in relationships. Uh, a girl dates a guy. It's clear from the outset he's immature. He never commits to anything. He has nothing organized, no vision for his life or his future. He can shave. He can play Fortnite, but that's about it. Now, I know this cuts the other way, but for the sake of my illustration, the guy in the relationship is a total flake. And so what does the girl do? Swipe left and move on? No, she puts on the red cape and she swoops in to rescue and to rebuild, and to do everything for him, right? Uh, Ever seen a really capable woman date an absolute dud? Please don't point to my wife. (laughs) Right? Again, it comes from this this, this loving, uh, uh, loving heart. And of course, it goes the other way as well. But obviously, it can stifle responsibility and maturity. Do you know where else this happens? The church. You know, the majority of churches in Australia today are under 100 people. And you say, why? Why is that? Well, one of the reasons is it's basically the number of people that any one person can organize and manage by themselves. Uh, We tend to think of mega churches as being built around one personality. But in reality, (laughs) it's actually smaller churches that are centered around one person who does all the ministry. They've got to be in everything. They've got to make sure everything is happening. It's all centered on that one person. And it's not always the fault of the minister, is it? Uh, Tom Rayner conducted a survey asking church uh, members what they expected from their pastor. What do they expect in terms of the minimum amount of time pastors should give to prayer, to sermon preparation, to outreach, to evangelism, to counseling, to visiting the sick, and so on? Any guesses? 80 hours? Up it. On average, minimum amount of time church members expected their pastors to give was 114 hours per week. Do you know what 114 hours a week looks like? That's Frank. He's 24. So Nehemiah knows, like he's a capable guy. Remember, he's a cupbearer to the king. He's obviously worked his way up the ranks in his career. He's a very capable guy. He's got a lot of resources, a lot of vision. 
And yet he knows he's limited. And he knows the blessing of working together with other people. He's empowering them so that they can be part of the solution. So that when the wall eventually goes up, they can look back and say, not, gee, look what Nehemiah did. Isn't he impressive? Look what we got to do. Look what we got to be part of. Come, let us arise and build. And of course, so vital for us, but notice what Nehemiah adds in addition to this. I love this. So encouraging. Verse 18, he says, immediately after the call to arise and build, Nehemiah says, and I told them, the men and women of Jerusalem, of the hand of my God that had been upon me for what? For good. You know, one of the most amazing things (laughs) about being a Christian, it's not just that you're like rescued from hell, like that's That's incredible and life transforming and generosity upon generosity. It's that when you follow Jesus and commit your life to to serving God and, and helping to build his kingdom, you do this not just for the Uh, You do this for the glory of God, but as you're doing this for the glory of God, God promises to use his time, his commitment, his passion, his resources to work in your life now for good. Right? So these men and women in Jerusalem, they're not just arising in their own strength. They arise... And the strength of God who is now working for their good. And this should not only fuel your uh, courage and your faith, but I reckon our joy. Can I share a proud uh, dad moment for just a moment? Uh, My eldest daughter recently turned uh, 15. Uh, Start of COVID, she was my little girl, came out of lockdown, a teenager, right? She's 15, and I had the joy of taking her to her first ever job interview uh, last week. I won't say where, but it was a global company. Um, <laughs> and on the right end, she was a little nervous. I was a little nervous. We talked through some of the questions, and we prayed, and we went on in. And um, uh, Summer meets the store manager, takes her seat in the interview, and I grab a coffee and look on. <laughs> Like, I'm sitting about 15 meters away, but I'm so desperate to hear, you know, what's being said and, and, and to see her in the midst of that. And I can't hear a thing that's going, but I know she's crushing it. I know she's doing an amazing job. And you know why I know that? Because I'm her dad and I'm proud that she's given it a go. There's a, a genuine joy in, in seeing her take that step of maturity Right in the end, it doesn't really matter if she gets a job or she doesn't. She got it. But it doesn't really matter. (laughs) What matters is that she's out there giving it a go. What matters for us is that we're out there giving it a go, going after it, trying things, failing at things, succeeding in things. You're giving it a go, and you're giving it a go for Jesus. Right? Because he's made you to take responsibility in life. Not just to watch your life pass, but to step into this life that you have and to use what he has given you to arise and build. 
I'm convinced that with every step you take as a believer, whenever you pray that prayer, and it's perhaps a prayer that no one else sees, but you pray that prayer, or, or, or you do that act of kindness, or you serve when no one else is seeing, or like whenever we step out in a way, defeating sin, choosing righteousness, whenever we take these steps of following Jesus, you got to know that your Father in heaven is delighting and rejoicing. There's joy in the build. How do people respond to Nehemiah? Wonderfully well. Verse 18, they say, let us arise up and build. So they strengthen their hands for the good work. Right? So Nehemiah casts the vision. The people say, yes, we're in. But when Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebuilding, uh, rebelling against the king? Now, there is a lot I would love to share right now about Sambalat, and uh, I'm going to unpack his story and their story in, in far more detail next week. Uh, next week, we're going to be in chapter four, and we're going to focus on that. And uh, chapter four is one of these vital chapters that remind us that the presence of God's good hand doesn't equal the absence of opposition. Whenever you step out in faith to serve God, Whenever you step out in the confidence that God is with you and you want to give him glory, whether that's glory in the home, the workplace, the university, the church, you can be sure that there's going to be challenge along the way. Next week, we're going to consider what we as the people of God can do to overcome that. So make sure you mark that in. For now, let's turn to our second and final section. The people have gathered act two, the people build. Look to verse 1. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zachar, the son of Imri, built. The son of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakoz, repaired. And next to them, and it goes on and on and on. Just, just have a moment to have a look over the entire chapter. Right? All 32 verses of chapter 3 are basically a list of names. Uh, we go from this incredible uh, moment of vision in chapter 2, Nehemiah standing before God's people, riding a horse, calling them to arise. It's a bit like a scene out of Braveheart. And then we go to what reads like the Yellow Pages. Does anyone remember the Yellow Pages, by the way? So it's tempting when you get to the Yellow Pages parts of the Bible <laughs> to just skip over. Like credits at the end of a movie, fast forward, turn it off, it's done. In fact, there's a uh, well-known commentary uh, by Chuck Swindle called Hand Me Another Brick. Uh, Very good commentary, actually. What does he do with chapter three? Skips it. (laughs) Just jumps from chapter two to jump to four. So, So what are we to make of this? Why was Nehemiah eager to include the names of the men and women who rebuilt? I want to finish with a few 
helpful observations here. First, chapter 3 shows you that Israel were prepared to give more than lip service to the Lord. Right? That has not always been the case. There have been plenty of times that Israel has said one thing, but then done something different. But here, we see faithfulness. Here, we see courage. Here, we discover their commitment. They don't just talk the talk, right? They walk the walk, right? In chapter 2, they said, let us arise and build. But that counts for nothing without chapter 3. Chapter 3 is them on the wall, getting their hands dirty and building. It's their doing what God, what they had said they would do. So I'm loving this serve campaign, this serve drive at the moment. We're hearing from men and women in our church who are not just saying they would like to serve, but are actually doing it. They're on the wall. They're helping us rebuild. You know, we can be a church of great vision, great aspiration, great talk, but without chapter three, without the building, it counts for nothing. So I encourage you to step into that. The other clear point from chapter three is that when it comes to building God's city, everyone has a part to play. Everyone has a part to play. If you cast your eyes over the chapter, and I encourage you to do that, you're going to see that Nehemiah names all kinds of people. The governors and the rulers are there. So are the goldsmiths and the metal workers. You have priests and perfumers. You have men. You have women. You have children and young people. You have the young at heart. They're all there working at different parts of the wall, all playing their part. In fact, one of the phrases that you'll see throughout the chapter is next to him, right? Next to him, next to them, next to her, right? This is incredible vision. It doesn't matter what your background was, what you did for a day job. didn't matter how much money you earned, which footy team you followed. They were at this wall side by side, using their gifts to help rebuild the wall. And of course, for those familiar with the New Testament, you'll know that this is so true and so important for the vision that God has for us. You have gifts. You have abilities. You have a part to play in the building of Christ's church. It's no accident you are here. You are here for a reason. Some have a unique gifting to evangelize. And a big part you will play is inviting people to hear about Jesus, opening the Bible with them and talking to them about Jesus. Some of you will have a particular gifting to care In times of need, you will be there to rally the troops and organize meals for for sick parents and catching up with that friend who is going through that difficult season in life. You have that call on your life to help restore and rebuild. Some of you have a unique gifting in hospitality. You have this very particular gift of making people feel welcome and warm. 
And you can open up your home to house gospel communities and cook meals for people and to love people. Some of you have a particular gifting of generosity. You're not attached to the things of this world. And you know that the things that God gives you can be used to fuel his work. Some of you have gifts of teaching. You can navigate God's word and and share it with other people in a way that they understand it and get it, right? Wherever you are today, we all have a part to play. And as we have a part to play, as we work side by side next to him, next to her, we recognize that as we build, we're all part of something much bigger, I remember when uh, Vanessa and I moved into uh, our place in Mitcham, and uh, there's a reserve uh, next to where we, we live, and so we thought we'd go for a little jog through the reserve, and we went out there, and we started jogging, and then as I was jogging with Vanessa, I noticed there was markers along the path, and we go up another 50 meters, and then there's like three people in like an orange vest cheering us on. I'm like, wow, this is really impressive. I mean... <laughs> And then I look behind me, and there's like a steam of people. Turns out we were part of a race, <laughs> right? It's a park run. I don't know if you've ever been part of this. We discovered it for the first time in a jog that we'd entered the park run. We were winning for quite a while, which was good. <laughs> you realize you're actually part of this thing that's already been existing and still ongoing. You know what happens the moment you become a Christian? You step into... A movement of God that begins from the beginnings of time that echoes all the way through to eternity. You're part of something bigger. You're part of a story of salvation. I just wonder if these men and women, you know, you know repairing the walls, knew the part they were playing. I'm sure they knew of the history of Israel and the, the Solomon's temple. So I'm sure they took great delight. But did they know that as they were repairing the gates and laying yet another brick, did they know that this was laying a foundation for the true salvation that was to come in Christ? Did they know that they were preparing a way for his arrival? And then you think about what we are doing here. That... Somewhere in the New Testament, it says, here we, I think it's Hebrews, here we seek no city, we seek the city that is to come. Is that Hebrews? Anyone? Yes, sure. Okay, come on, we've got to read our Bibles, right? Me included. <laughs> right? What is he, we seek a city? It's, it's that when you're praying for someone, when, when someone comes to faith, uh, when you are built up in your discipleship, We are brick by brick building the heavenly city that we will one day see in full. Yeah, we see now in part. We see, oh, I saw this and this, she wasn't that great and this was good. But a day is coming, the Bible says, when we will see the the city of God ascending, descending from heaven. God's people established People who have been laboring in the Lord to grow in their faith will be perfected. The city of God fulfilled. So recognize your part. You don't just pray. You know, people say that, oh, I'm just going to pray. You don't just pray. When you pray, you are bringing about the kingdom of God. You don't just give. When you give, you are giving to establish yet another brick. You don't just evangelize whether the person responds or not. When you share of your faith, you're laying yet another 
brick. And a day is coming, City on a Hill, where we'll see that in full. The other really cool thing, which I think is the last little point here. Um, why does Nehemiah list these names? <laughs> it's not just to teach you, challenge you, <laughs> teach you, encourage you that everybody has a part to play. That's certainly there. I can't help but read this and think that God is wanting to honor the men and women who played their part. I think God, like these men and women, I'm sure, like they're not getting paid, presumably. They're volunteering their time. They're probably giving up their their day jobs for a while to help build this. They're, They're not doing it for any, you know, worldly affirmation here. They're doing it for the Lord, right? They carried those bricks. They climbed their ladders. They learned how to lay cement. And, like they, they learned all of these things. They did all of these things. And what I find so encouraging is to know that God includes their names. He names them all, not just Nehemiah, not just the priests. He names them all. Right? The point being that our, that our work, our service is never beyond the sight of God. You know, in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus says to the early church, I know your deeds and I see your hard work. Jesus sees your prayers. Jesus sees your generosity. Jesus sees you put to death that sin and struggle through that temptation. Jesus sees you making Big decisions about your career and and, and your desire to put God at the center. Jesus sees your, your resolve to be faithful in your university study. To pray about that and surrender that. Jesus sees your, prayer, uh, your parenting, your patience with your child. Jesus sees it. He knows your hard work and God wants to honor it. Verse 15, probably one of my favorite sections. Hanan and the inhabitants of Zenoah repaired the valley gate. They rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts and its bars and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. Does anyone know where the dung gate is? <laughs> Presumably, it's where the dung goes, right? It's where all the rubbish and filth and dung go. Anyone want that job? <laughs> Of all the places, anyone want to go to the Dungate? Not many people do. But Hannon and his crew say, yeah, 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 we'll take that on. I'm happy to take a few pegs and block my nose and get it done. And they do. And I just love that God puts their names in the story. For all eternity now, they can look back and see their names. Say, I was at the Dungate. That's the part I played. You, you know, if you go downstairs, you can get your name on a Kit Kat, right? Imagine having your name in the Bible. God honors them. He recognizes what many people might overlook. Let, let me encourage you to lean into a biblical principle here, which is to honor one another. I think maybe it's an, I think it's an Aussie thing. I've been to different cultures. It's not always like this. I think it's an Aussie thing. We struggle to, to honor one another and say, thank you for the way you cared for me in this moment. 
I really, really appreciate your prayers because that actually made a huge difference in my life. I was tremendously blessed today when you led us in music. You know, I'd had a hard week, but when you were leading us in song, oh, I just felt like I was back with the Lord and celebrate. Like, can I encourage you to take, very practically now, take a moment this week to find one person that you can encourage, that you can build up and thank. God knows. God sees. And we're here to work and serve for him. Ben's going to come up and I'm going to close in prayer. Father, thank you for this time we've had in your word. And I pray that as your spirit has been moving, you would take hold of our heart and give us a vision for our life. Help us to be the men and women of the church who offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. Lord, we don't do this for our own sake, but for your sake. We ask, Lord God, that you would strengthen us now. Help us to take hold of the gifts that you have given us. Help us to worship you and help us to step out in faith that you might build your city brick by brick. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.